welcome to the 32nd episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. My name is Stefan and I'm part of the technical support and marketing team of Active Motif. Our special guest for this episode is Ruka Fuji from Hirosaki University Graduate School of Medicine. And I'm happy to talk to you now. Thank you, Hudaka, for joining me today. Please let me quickly introduce you to our audience. Uh, you got your PhD in 1998 from Graduate School of Medicine at the University of Tokyo. From 1998 to 2001, you were an, then assistant professor, uh, in brackets, Yushu, at the Department of Immunology at the University of Tokyo. You then went to Europe to the Basel Institute for Immunology as a PI from 2000 to 2001. And then you moved on to the U.S. as an assistant professor at the Department of Pathology at New York University School of Medicine, where you stayed until 2009. You then returned to Japan, Japan in 2009 and were associate professor at the Research Institute for Micro Microbial Disease at Osaka University until 2017. And since then, you are professor at the Department of Biochemistry and Genome Biology at Hirosaki University Graduate School of Medicine and School of Medicine. And furthermore, uh, since 2015, you are also president and CEO of Epigeneron, a biotech company. A question I like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in uh, pursuing a career in science? Okay, thank you very much, Stefan. Uh, you know, the, the reason why I become a biologist is uh, not very straightforward. Because, you know, uh, when I was in elementary school uh, or junior high or high school, I liked to learn mathematics, uh, physics, uh, literature, but less uh, enthusiastically biology. And this is because, you know, I needed to memorize a lot of the random, irrelevant issues. For example, uh, let's say an octopus looks like to have eight arms, but in fact, when it's specialized for mating or something like that. So uh, it's really, you know, random collection of the, uh, you know, different technologies. So, but uh, one thing uh, that interested me in biology at junior high was the genetic code and the system and that uh, three nucleotides correspond to one amino acid residue of a protein molecule. So I found it very mathematical or a kind of a number theory. So, however, uh, you know, I was uh, overwhelmed by the random collection of the various unrelated information in biology. And I wanted to study mathematics and physics in university. In fact, I read uh, mainly uh, books on particle physics at high school. And one of my favorite books was uh, one that described in a hierarchical structure of universe and particle physics. So uh, I went to uh, University of Tokyo. Uh, but uh, the reason is that uh, uh, in University of Tokyo, I was able to decide uh, which research career I should follow not at the time of entrance examination, but uh, during one and a half year education period of uh, liberal arts. However, as you know, uh, mathematics uh, in high school and university is completely different. And uh, I realized that only genius, such as Gauss or Einstein, can survive. So uh, knowing that I was not a mathematical genius, uh, I decided to go to medical school. So I thought that, uh, uh, because of chaotic situation in, in biology, I, I thought it was chaotic at the time. So I may be able to survive uh, even if I'm not genius. And I think that was a good decision because uh, I'm still surviving at least until now. So that's in how I become uh, involved in the biology research. 
So during your times in Basel, in New York, you were working on the signaling pathways. And in 2009, you then published your first paper on chip and chromatin, but you didn't work on chromatin and chip before it, at least what I can uh, see from your papers. So how did it come that you first worked on signaling pathways and then you changed apparently your research directions into chip and chromatin? Yes, uh, thank you very much for asking that. So, uh, so uh, the reason why I started a study of the signal transduction is, you know, the first lab I, you know, I was trained in University of Tokyo was a biochemistry department, uh, and uh, and they were uh, studying the uh, signal transduction from the uh, heterotrimeric GTP binding proteins or G proteins. So that's how I get into the in the signal transduction research. And uh, when I moved to the, uh, get into the graduate school uh, uh, in Osaka University under the supervision of Professor Tadataniguchi, uh, who is a famous guy uh, who clones interferon beta gene and interleukin 2 gene. And I still continued on working on signal transduction from IL2 receptor and JAK-STAT pathways. So, uh, and uh, in both labs, you know, in University of Tokyo and uh, in in Osaka University, in Tadas Laboratory, uh, some of my colleagues were studying the, you know, the gene expression regulation, like a transcription. But uh, at that time, uh, you know, uh, that um, the field of the transcription or epigenetic and chromatin is really difficult to uh, solve. So, uh, for example, you know, um, many uh, colleagues have uh, were struggling to uh, find uh, DNA binding factor regulating gene of the muscarinic uh, acetylcholine receptors, so interferons. And uh, as you know, it takes a very long time. And uh, so, uh, for example, uh, first, uh, in order to uh, uh, elucidate the molecular mechanism of the gene expression, so we need to identify genomic regions regulating gene expression, like enhancers or silencers, and uh, in many genes, such elements uh, are close to transcription start sites of TSS, but this is not always. And as you know, uh, enhancers and silencers can locate very far from TSS, sometimes in chromosomes different from the chromosomes where your gene of interest are located. So uh, it was desperately difficult to find such uh, regularly genetic regions when they're on different chromosomes. In addition, uh, if you are lucky enough to find uh, Uh, elements critical for gene expression, a next difficult task is to identify molecules binding to those elements. So, and of course, uh, in vitro FMT purification using bees conjugated with the oligonucleotides of the East one hybrid method have been used with some success, but uh, it does not always help identifying DNA binding molecules that actually bind to those elements in the cell nucleus. So uh, I found that I cannot get quick answers in those fields. So, and uh, I was uh, studying signal transduction in, in which I, I thought that I can get quick answers. And uh, so uh, maybe that can increase my, uh, you know, chance of the survival. That is in, in the situation around the, uh, I think, uh, before uh, 2009 or something like that. But uh, then you may ask me that why you changed you know, my, you know, uh, research field. And uh, the quick answer is, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, aboard with the signal transduction research. And uh, th that means, you know, I feel uh, to get into more mysterious uh, fields. 
is that is uh, you know uh, chromatin and epigenetic uh, regulation. And uh, so, it's speaking about the uh, uh, signal transduction, it looks like to me that you know uh, there it's something like a classical metabolic pathways with uh, you know interaction between the many different molecules and the many arrows and the feedback loops or something like that and. Uh, uh, eventually, we find that molecule A binds to molecule B, molecule B binds to or, uh, activate or inhibit molecule C, something like that. So uh, it's getting more and more, uh, you know, uh, complex, of course. But uh, I I doubted that if, you know, whether it may be a significant work to give additional arrows. You know, <laughs> in such a, you know a complex uh, you know uh, collection of the molecular interactions, and that's why I got into the uh, uh, you know uh, research of the chromatin structure. Yeah. So the method I was or I'm referring to is insertional insertional chromatin IP short iChip. Um, could you maybe walk us through the protocol of iChip and how you uh, began to work on that and how you developed this method? Yeah, oh, I mean, thank it, you very much for asking. Yeah, it doesn't need to be too detailed, but just a general overview. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let me explain about the iChip first. So, uh, uh, you know, before uh, uh, developing iChip, I were I developed the uh, inducible translocation trap system to uh, identify uh, nuclear translocating proteins. And uh, uh, please let me uh, quickly explain the principles of the IPT, and that may make easier to, uh, for audiences to understand how I you know, uh, developed the iChip. So I was, uh, as I told you, yeah, I was involved in the um, signal transduction research, and I was uh, uh, working on interlocking two receptor signaling and jack start pathways. And however, you know, I, I am not sure whether it would be a good idea to uh, you know, concentrate on this or that signal transduction pathways. So uh, I, you know, I wanted to uh, develop a general method to identify signal transducing molecule. So uh, that's why I, you know, uh, developed the inducible translocation trap system or ITT. And the ITT is a technology to detect the nuclear translocation of uh, signaling molecules. So it is a two-component system. The first component is a fusion protein or bacterial DNA binding protein, like say, and a test protein. And the second component is a reporter gene consisting of, uh, let's say, binding elements, minimal promoter, and a reporter gene such as uh, green fluorescence protein or GFP. And the reporter gene is integrated into the channel. So uh, when the fusion protein translocates into the nucleus in response to extracellular signals, the fusion protein can bind to the, let's say, binding elements via its, let's say, DNA binding domain and induce a reporter gene expression. Thus, uh, we know uh, if the test protein is in the nucleus or uh, not by, uh, not by uh, reporter gene expression. So this system can be used for a non-biased identification of proteins induced to translocate into the nucleus. And uh, for example, I found that a subtype of a pyruvate kinase, M2 isoform, uh, that is, a, is an enzyme involved in the glycolysis pathway. And the uh, significance of nuclear translocation of this enzyme into the nucleus was not clear at the time uh, when I published the paper in 2009. But uh, later research found that its nuclear translocation might be critical for cancer metabolism. 
like a world blue effect and others. And uh, so, and thus, uh, I developed the uh, uh, ITT system. And as I told you, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm getting less and less interested in signal transduction. And I, uh, in uh, New York University, I was searching for a very interesting new field. And uh, uh, I remember that when I developed the idea of uh, I in New York. So um, uh, the, the situation is, you know, I attended to a seminar and uh, who I don't remember his name uh, this time, but uh, it's about chromatin and epigenetic kind of a thing. And he showed us, uh, you know, data that is a kind of a cross-linking the chromatin and uh, I think that just with a uh, research enzyme. And he used some of the um, uh, preparative centrifugation techniques to, you know, uh, separate those, you know, uh, fixed chromatin. So at the time, I found that if we can tag, you know, one of the target, uh, you know, genomic regions, then I think it might be possible to purify that, you know, a specific genomic region uh, while the uh, binding proteins, the binding RNAs are still, you know, uh, you know, interacting with that, you know, portion. So uh, then uh, that is the first kind of, uh, you know, uh, inspiration or, the, you know, at the time. And at that time, I have an ITT system in my hand. And of course, I have a Lexi DNA binding domain, Lexi elements. So uh, it was not, uh, it took uh, not long time for me to devise or conceptualize their basic, uh, you know, a concept of the iChip. And uh, let me explain about the uh, concept of the iChip. So um, iChip is, you know, as I told you, the system to purify a specific genomic region of interest while the uh, binding uh, proteins, the binding RNAs, uh, you know, still interacting, associated with that, you know. So uh, it uses the Lexi uh, or other uh, DNA binding uh, protein that is exogenous DNA binding mode, like the Lexi that is from the uh, bacteria. And uh, if we want to purify a specific genomic region, first we are uh, insert or knock in lexa binding element into the uh, vicinity of that, you know, uh, genomic region. And after that, we can express, uh, uh, let's say, bind, uh, let's say uh, protein fused with uh, affinity tag, like the 3X flag tag or HA tag or others. And uh, those uh, lexa protein is expressed in the cell uh, in which the target to, uh, genomic region is, uh, you know, uh, like say binding element is already knocked in. So we can make a situation that in a, a like say uh, protein can bind to the uh, target genetic regions and after cross-linking and uh, sonication and uh, uh, I think the purification with the tag, we can purify the specific genomic regions. And after that, we can, uh, you know, reverse cross-link to, uh, and after that, we can uh, identify a DNA binding proteins by mass spectrometry or DNA binding RNAs or other genomic regions like enhancers or silencers by using NGS. That is the concept of the iChip system or insertional chromatin immunopresentation system. So um, in one cell, you then purify maybe two loci, right? From, from one yes, chromosome right, the other. Yeah. So, so how many, many cells would you need? I mean, uh, it must be more than, than just like um, 10 to 100,000, right? Or is it 
just that? Yeah, we usually do the iChip experiment by using the 50 million cells. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a lot. So uh, we can have like the, you know, uh, 10 million cells in a large dish, like the 15 mm -hmm. centimeter dish. So we can harvest uh, cells from the three or four uh, dishes. That's not a lot. And uh, so and these days, the sensitivity of mass spec is really, you know, uh, good. Yeah. So uh, those numbers should be sufficient. Yeah. Uh, of course, it depends on the you know, stoichiometry. And uh, if you uh, want to identify, uh, you know, by, uh, proteins with low stoichiometry for binding, you know, you may need more. But then yeah. you can increase, you know, the yeah, cell sure. numbers. Yeah. So you then went also on to uh, improve this system. Um, so you have a, th a second and a third generation of iChip. Uh, why did, did you think that it's necessary to improve it still? Or what were the improvements that you made? Yeah, so we are uh, working on to uh, increase the, uh, you know, um, yields or, you know, efficiency of the, uh, you, know, pure, you know, presentation. And uh, we have generated, you know, in, in the initial experiment, I used the 1x flag tag. And uh, we did some of the tricky, uh, you know, configuration like the uh, one tag is, you know, uh, conjugated with another tag via the uh, uh, protease cleavage side. Mm -hmm. But in such a complex system, it didn't work. So uh, going back to the using more high affinity tag, like size 3x flag tag. And uh, so uh, that's why I generated the second generation of the uh, uh, 3x flag tag accused uh, Lexi. So, and uh, we uh, will continue to increase the efficiency of the yields of this that system around, I think, 2010 or 2011. Now, this paper came out in, yeah. in uh, I wrote it down somewhere, but I can't find it now. And then, then in 2014, uh, finally, you also had a third generation of this uh, method. Um, yeah, what did you do then? So you mean the new method is uh, NSCHIP, uh, you mean? Or? Yeah. Also, yeah, that, that I want to come into that in, 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 uh, in a bit, but you also in 2014, uh, you mentioned, uh, or I found a paper mentioning a third generation of iChip, yeah. ICHIP, yes, uh, that is uh, uh, what do we call in vitro iChip system. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, uh, initially we used the in-cell iChip system in which uh, you know, we express the uh, tagged like say into the cells to be analyzed. And however, in you know many situations, it might be difficult to express uh, you know exogenous molecules in in the in the cells to be analyzed, like clinical samples or you know pathogenic bacteria or something like that. Or some some cells are quite resistant to you know express exogenous proteins. So uh, in in vitro iChip system, we uh, we don't express a tagged like say in the cells to be analyzed, but uh, we can just, you know, uh, generate uh, tagged, like say, uh, as a recombinant protein. And uh, in the E. coli or uh, in the, in the um, bacterial virus system or whatever, and purify the tagged, like say. And uh, on the other hand, we can prepare the uh, uh, chromatin uh, from the uh, target cells in which, you know, our target genes are already are uh, with the Lexi binding elements. So, uh, and we can uh, prepare the, uh, we can uh, cross-link then uh, sonic A to fragment the chromatin and mix those, you know, fragmented chromatin together with the uh, recombinant uh, Lexi in vitro. And uh, so uh, the recombinant Lexi can bind to the Lexi element even in, in the test tube. 
so we can purify the, those you know uh, target genetic regions by using that system. And I think the the uh, uh, ease or efficiency is very high by using that system, and uh, it can be uh, used in many different configurations. And that is the uh, you know uh, third generation or in vitro mm -hmm. chip system. So this is like more efficient and also more flexible than in the end. Exactly. Okay. So in parallel, you also worked on yeah integrating the new enzyme CRISPR or the new system CRISPR into um, your chip approaches. And in 2013, you published a new technique called engineered DNA binding molecule molecule mediated chromatin immunoprecipitation, short NCHIP. Um, yeah, how did you integrate CRISPR into the chip approach? Yes, yeah, I think the iChip system or insertional chromatin immunoprecipitation system is a good system and still used by uh, many other researchers now. But uh, one of the technical eliminations of the iChip was that it was necessary to insert the lexate binding elements into the target genomic region to be purified. And uh, in, I think, 2009, uh, not many cell lines have a high, you know, easy targets for such a nuclear experiment. Not many cell lines have a high homologous recombination efficiency for knocking locking in of the lexate binding elements. So uh, at that time, target cells were limited to DD40, a chicken cell line, which has a very high, uh, you know, homologous recombination uh, efficiency or yeast, in which the you know knocking in is quite easy. Then uh, there came the genome editing uh, technologies. So uh, zinc finger proteins were uh, around. Uh, I think it was developed in you know, uh, late uh, 20th century, but they did, did not use very widely because the uh, design of the uh, zinc finger protein is really difficult. So, and uh, around 20, uh, 2010, uh, transcription-like activator or TAL or TAIL came. And uh, uh, I was very, you know, you know, Excited about the I know you know uh, development of the tail or tail, and subsequently uh, the CRISPR technology in late 2012, and uh, I was very happy because uh, to uh, see those technologies because you know by using this genome editing technology, it is getting more and more easier to insert the lexical binding elements into any genomic region to be purified. So, uh, you know, uh, therefore, we are very happy to expect that a chip system can be applied to many different target cells. However, uh, you know, uh, it struck me that uh, by directly using uh, molecules for genome editing, like a TAL or CRISPR, uh, we don't need to knock in the, let's say, uh, binding elements, but direct tagging of the target locus is feasible. And among others, the CRISPR complex consisting of nucleus dead form of chest uh, nucleases and the guide RNA is of prime importance because you know we can flexibly target uh, virtually any genomic region of interest. And one example is the DHS9 and the guide RNA. And uh, these molecules are programmable uh, DNA binding molecules or engineered DNA binding molecules. So uh, we developed the strategy. Uh, uh, to uh, to uh, locus tagging is those engineered DNA binding molecules, and followed by uh, purification of target locus by affinity purification uh, of the engineered DNA binding molecule, and which we call uh, engineered DNA binding molecule mediated chromatin immunoprecipitation or NCHIP. 
And uh, we, as you told, uh, we published the first paper of this technology uh, in 2013. And we have patents on and chip, and they are approved or registered in at least 15 countries by now. So you also put this technique then to a test, um, and you used uh, this to identify telomere-associated molecules. Um, what did you find there? Was there anything striking? Yeah, so uh, that is the first uh, example of the uh, use of the TAL for the, uh, as an engineered DNA binding molecule. So we uh, performed the uh, mass spec after N-chip and uh, uh, RNA-seq after uh, N-chip. And we found uh, we could detect uh, uh, already known proteins or RNAs associated with the telomeres. In addition, we can find a novel uh, DNA bi binding, telomere binding proteins, telomere binding RNAs using those, you know, uh, uh, methods. So uh, we published that uh, paper also in 2013 and uh, several years after that for the RNA-seq experiment uh, combined with the NSHIP. That is the, uh, using the TAL protein. Yeah. So then uh, later on in 2017, you also used NSHIP to identify physical interactions between uh, different genomic regions, um, like you would do with HI-C or the th 3C methods. Um, how does this work and how does this method compare to those uh, chromatin confirmation capture methods? Yes, uh, thank you for asking that. And, uh, and uh, you know, when I first hear about the 3C and published in 2002 by your Baker, I was very excited about it because, you know, it is really mysterious, you know, you know, those, you know, genomic regions, the chromosomes are interacting specifically and the, uh, so we don't know exact mechanism of the interaction at this stage, but it is really mysterious. And I really uh, want to uh, get into uh, those kind of research. And uh, uh, so uh, first thing I did, you know, before developing NSHIP by chip was, you know, I uh, tested the uh, 3C or chromosome complete capture uh, method. Uh, and uh, at that time, you know, as I told you, I was interested in a gene expression regulation of the genetic, uh, you know, regulation. And uh, among others, I was uh, interested in uh, the mechanism of the expression of the odorant receptor. You know, in the you know to detect the smells, and yep. as you know, there's only one receptor uh, among you know several hundred or thousands. Only one is expressed on a single uh, odorant neurons. And another example is the uh, mechanism of the uh, you know uh, lineage commitment, like a B cells or T cells, or different type of T cells. And and in order to understand those uh, you know problems, we need to uh, know the mechanism of the expression of the uh, master regulatory transcription factors like PEX5 for the B cells or PEX3 for Treg cells. So, uh, and and in those you know uh, situation, and I think the uh, one of the potential mechanism is the uh, interaction between the genomic regions, and which can be you know elicited by 3C. So, uh, so I tested uh, 3C in my hand. But uh, the result was, you know, uh, it didn't work in my in my hands. Maybe I'm not very good at, you know, uh, doing those kind of experiments. And uh, so, and I, I did a lot of the, uh, you know, experiments, but all are failed. So, uh, and therefore, I decided to uh, develop a new, you know, technology to detect those 
gen uh, interactions between genomic regions. And uh, as you know, uh, chromosome compression capture is a very uh, clever technique, but it uh, requires the uh, digestion of the uh, fixed chromatin with restriction enzymes and uh, uh, ligation. And uh, those you know, um, enzymatic reaction should be done in non-optimal con conditions because you know, chromatins uh, you know, are fixed. So uh, I thought that it might be uh, uh, good to develop an easier technique uh, for uh, bad you know, uh, experimentalists like me, uh, which does not require a ligation in the reactions. So uh, then uh, that is one of the uh, motivations that I developed the N-chip and I-chip. So uh, let me explain about the N-chip uh, seek uh, for uh, identification of the genomic region of interest. So it's very straightforward. If we want to identify an uh, interacting genomic region, uh, which interact with the, uh, your uh, gene of interest, we can perform N-chip by using CRISPR to purify that you know, region. But we expect that you know, uh, uh, interacting genomic regions are also in, you know, uh, contained in the uh, you know, precipitants uh, isolated by the uh, energy. And after that, we can perform uh, energy F. Then we can uh, you know, uh, perform the non-biased search for the interacting genomic regions. And, and among these interacting genomic regions, maybe we can find enhancers or silencers and other regularly uh, DNA uh, regions. And uh, speaking about the comparison between 3C or 3C, a related technology, um, there are many uh, fundamental differences. So uh, I think the one advantage of any chip is that, uh, as I told you, we don't need any ligation reaction. It's yeah, just, uh, you know, chip sick <laughs> by using the, yeah, it's just chip sick. And uh, if you have any uh, you know, experience in chip sick, you can you know, easily perform any chip sick because you know, you, it's, the procedure is very, uh, quite safe. And uh, so that's one uh, you know, uh, you know, advantage. But uh, one disadvantage uh, compared to you know, uh, modern 3C related technology like high C or others, uh, micro C, uh, is that it is uh, one to all uh, you know, detection. I mean, you know, we can analyze, you know, uh, only one of our target genetic regions, and which, uh, and we can, of course, we can identify uh, many different genetic regions interacting with that target region. But you know, it is one to all. So if we use a modern, you know, high C uh, or other three uh, C related technologies, it's kind of all to all, you know, data. Yeah. So you can get a very, you know, comprehensive picture of uh, interaction map of the, the genomic DNA. So uh, it's quite different. However, you know, I think that many researchers are, are interested in your gene of interest, like the PEX5 you know, promoter or other promoters, other receptor promoters, blah, blah. So I think uh, 3C and the NCHIP seek are quite complementary, you know, uh, techniques. And uh, of course we can sometimes use 3C related technology for uh, confirmation of the finding uh, derived from the NCHIP 6. So I think it's different uh, methods. So uh, I think it's really complementary and uh, you know, strengthen our, uh, our confidence about our results. Yeah. So to finish off this interview, I have two more general 
questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, did you at one point of your career face a situation where you reached a dead end and didn't know where to go? But uh, I think uh, uh, it really sounded like you always had like the next idea in mind and that you kn knew where to go. Um, is that true? Or did you at some point really uh, <laughs> didn't know what to do because you uh, have done everything for a special method, for example? Yeah, that is a very uh, nice, uh, you know, yeah, question. And actually, and I faced, uh, you know, two, three, uh, you know, opportunities that I have um, at a loss what to do. The first, you know, uh, such kind of, uh, uh, you know, incident was when I moved to the Basel Institute for Immunology from University of Tokyo. So, uh, uh, so I really wanted to, uh, you know, study or work in foreign countries other than Japan. So, uh, and uh, I searched for uh, some PI position, a principal investigator position, because, you know, I don't want to work on this, the supervision of other, you know, yeah. person. <laughs> and uh, I, I found that in Basel Institute have a you know, PI position, uh, although the, you know, the lab is minimal, that is the only one PI and one technician. But still, you know, uh, that is a very you know, nice thing to become independent. I was yeah. very happy. Uh, when I become independent at the age of 30, uh, that is uh, quite young, I think. But uh, when I joined the Basel Institute for Immunology, or BII, in 2008, uh, uh, one month after I joined the institute, the Roche, who owns the uh, institute, uh, announced the closure of the uh, Basel Institute. So uh, I'm the last hired member and uh, I shared the room of, uh, with uh, you know, a researcher who is the last uh, permanent member of the mm -hmm. BII, but in any case, we need to leave. So uh, I remember that, you know, uh, that day, very day of the uh, announcement of the closure, we had a, a kind of a, something like a party, you know, a drinking a lot of the <laughs> beers and wines and uh, champagnes and, uh, and thinking what we should do. Uh, but uh, the thing is, you know, uh, Basel Institute is just a temporary place for many, you know, researchers uh, like me. And uh, I think we can stay uh, there like uh, four, five years, but we need to uh, eventually leave to find a new job. So uh, realizing that, you know, I think, you know, it is uh, not, a, you know, very bad that it's just one month after my joining mm -hmm. because you know, I can use my uh, previous uh, papers for my uh, next, uh, you know, job hunting, because you know my paper is not old uh, enough. <laughs> so uh, then I went to uh, went to many places like United States or Europe to uh, job hunting, and uh, fortunately I could get assistant professor position in, at NYU, and uh, that is you know uh, one occasion. And I joined NYU around the December two thousand one. So uh, three months after 9-11. Uh -huh. So oh. the atmosphere was uh, very tense, but I think uh, the uh, situation is uh, not very dangerous at that time. So uh, I uh, could uh, stay there and, uh, you know, uh, I enjoyed the uh, uh, research life in mm -hmm. NYU. Research life as, as well as a non-research life <laughs> at, uh, New, uh, in the New York. And that is one uh, situation, yeah. So in the last 35 minutes, we have taken a journey through your scientific career. Uh, but can you maybe give a short summary about your most important finding or what struck you most in, in your career and what we might have missed in this interview, but you still want to share? 
Yeah, so uh, I think one of the biggest uh, contribution uh, from my research journey is development of the uh, N-SHIP system or engineered DNA binding multi-mediated chromatin immunoprecipitation. And I think this is a very general system to purify specific genomic region of interest. And after purification, we can uh, identify proteins by spec and RNA or uh, genomic regions interacting with that region by NGS. And this is really a general uh, methodology. So, uh, and uh, I think many uh, other researchers have applied this technology and uh, by using different tags or uh, different, you know, uh, you know um, their uh, configurations. And uh, so uh, I'm very happy to see that, you know, utilization of my uh, basic idea uh, is in a kind of, uh, uh, you know, diverging now. And I was quite lucky that you know, I could publish the uh, paper, uh, the first paper describing that, you know, strategy, and we can get the patents for that. And, uh, um, and in addition, uh, we can uh, develop the uh, in-cell N-chip system as well as the in-vitro N-chip system. And in, in inside the chip system, uh, as I told you uh, about the iChip system, so the CRISPR complex can be uh, expressed in the cells to be analyzed. But as, as I told you, in some cases like uh, clinical samples, uh, uh, dangerous bacteria, it is not you know uh, it is not easy to express those complex in the cells to be analyzed. And so for the analysis of those in you know, different situations, we developed the in vitro chip system in which uh, the uh, DGS9, attack DGS9 is uh, produced like a recombinant protein. And we can synthesize gut RNA and, and we can just mix it in the test tube to make a functional, a fully functional uh, DGS9 uh, CRISPR complex. And we can prepare the uh, fragmented chromatin from the clinical samples of pathogenic bacteria. And, or, uh, and we can just mix those fragmented chromatin together with the recombinant a CRISPR ribonuclear protein complex in the test tube. So we can tag the uh, locus in vitro. And after that, we can perform the mass spec to identify proteins and uh, uh, RNAs and, uh, and uh, interact with genomic regions by using NGS. So I think we can just you know, uh, have a, a different system for which we can flexibly you know, uh, choose and depending on the situations. And I'd like to uh, uh, continue using this kind of uh, techniques to, uh, you know, uh, analysis of the uh, transcription regulation and epigenetic regulation and uh, uh, iteration between the genetic regions. And uh, that is my original, you know, interest. In addition, uh, I think we can this, uh, use this uh, NSHIP system, for, uh, especially NSHIP MS, energy by message spectrometry, for identification of the drug targets. And uh, so for the purpose uh, in 2015, as you, you know, uh, in introduced in the first uh, section, uh, uh, a company called Epigeneron, and the, uh, they are using the NCHIP uh, MS or NCHIP uh, RNA-seq or other uh, applications for identification of the drug targets. So the uh, situation is, you know, uh, it is uh, already well known that many intractable diseases like cancers or, you know, CNS uh, diseases uh, can be caused by abnormal uh, gene expression regulation. 
For example, the, uh, in some cancers, uh, you know, uh, tumor suppressor genes uh, are uh, expression of the tumor suppressor genes genetically silenced because of the heavy uh, methylation of the promoter regions. And by doing that, uh, you know, cancer cells uh, does not express uh, tumor suppressor genes anymore, and that can lead to the tumor genesis. And uh, the idea is, you know, if we can reverse those uh, epigenetic silencing by some uh, means, then we can reactivate the expression of the uh, tumor suppressor gene in the tumor cells and uh, lead to the killing of those, you know, uh, cells. So, and uh, that is one example, but uh, I'd like to use uh, our NCHIP system uh, for the identification of the drug targets. And eventually I'd like to develop uh, drugs uh, to cure the uh, patients. So that is, you know, my ongoing mm -hmm. uh, research projects in, so, in my lab as well as yeah, in the, you know, my company. Yeah. So fingers crossed that this will be successful in the end and that we will have some results from that uh, approaches then in the future. Uh, thank you, Hodaka, for your time and being part of this interview. It was very, very nice. Thank you very much. This was the 32nd episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We are happy to receive your feedback on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn. We will read all your reviews and comments and give you a shout out on a future episode. If you have any further questions, you can also reach me at podcast.activemotif.com. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog, Motivations, at activemotif.com slash blog. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.